Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We're doing this nightmare before Christmas, and last week we talked about fear by being overwhelmed. We talked about Mary, the teen mom, who was totally overwhelmed by the fact that she was pregnant, she was not married, she was engaged, and Joseph, her husband, was not the father. God was the father. How do you explain that to your fiancé? I'm pregnant and God's the father. Um, so she was very overwhelmed. What we, what we learned is that by realizing who Jesus was, and as she realized who Jesus was that she was going to li- deliver, God delivered her from her fear. Tonight we're talking about not being overwhelmed, but this time one of the sources of our fear is being overlooked. It's going to be overlooked. And the reason I played Charlie Brown tonight was, was for two reasons. First was because Linus, who's the little blanky guy, you know, Linus always toting the blanket around. He quotes part of the passage we're going to read tonight, which is Luke 2. And the second reason is because Charlie Brown is kind of like, I think we can all identify a little bit with Charlie Brown. And somebody interviewed, um, I think his name was Howard. I was, I was reading this interview, Howard Schultz, who was the creator of the Peanuts and Charlie Brown. And they, they said, you know, explain to us, like, Charlie Brown. Why did you make Charlie Brown the way he was? And he said, I wanted to create a character that everyone else could identify with because if you look at Charlie Brown and then you look at all the other cast members of Peanuts, every one of them has something that makes them unique. You know, um, Pigpen is the dirty guy. Schroeder is the artistic musician. Um, um, what's the real mean girl? Lucy? Yeah, Lucy's the bossy one, the loud one. Um, yeah, Linus is the cute one. Um, yeah, every, they all have something that distinguishes them, except for Charlie Brown. He's the normal guy. He's the one that has nothing, there's nothing special about him. And sometimes we feel like there's nothing special about us, and we feel like everybody else gets noticed. Like everybody else has somebody that cares about them. Everybody else has somebody that checks on them. And you, you may even feel like your parents don't notice you as much as they no- notice your brother or they notice your sister. And we feel overlooked. And that makes us sometimes, it makes us afraid because we think, what if I'm not good enough? Like maybe the reason I'm overlooked is because I'm not good enough. Like I'm not as good as my sister. Like everybody talks about how great my sister was when she was in high school or when she was in middle school. Like everybody talks about how great she was and I can't measure up to that. So, so I, I'm overlooked and maybe I'm afraid maybe there's something, maybe there's something wrong with me. And we think about Charlie Brown when um, earlier in this movie he goes to Lucy's little psychiatry desk. I don't know if you've all seen this movie, but he goes to, Lucy has this little, she's a kid, right, but she decides to be a psychiatrist, and she sets up this little, like, lemonade stand booth, and she's trying to find out what he's afraid of, and she, and he, you know, she's going through all the phobias, you know, like, arachnophobia, fear of spiders, and, you know, all these different, and she goes, maybe you have pantophobia, and he goes, what's pantophobia? She's like, fear of everything, and he's like, that's it, <laughs> and, like, for some of us, you know, we, we're so normal that we're afraid of everything because we're overlooked. We're like Charlie Brown. We're not the weirdest person in the world, but we're so normal, and we're so, I know this term is used differently now, but we're so basic that we feel overlooked. You know, we're not the worst of the worst, you know, so all the bad people always get noticed because they're doing bad things, and all the super awesome great people get noticed because they're doing super awesome great things, but here you are. You know, you're like a C slash B student. You're not the tallest, you're not the shortest. You're not the most athletic, but you're not the most klutzy. I'm the most klutzy. But um, you know, you're just, you're normal, and, and, and you, you think you're overlooked. But tonight, we're going to look at a story of some shepherds who, they were very much overlooked by society, but they were the first to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 20. Um, there, there are a couple, 
<laughs> there are two things I'm really concerned about with the lesson that we're going to do tonight. The first is that we've read this passage so much that it just becomes routine to us. But I, I really think that tonight you're going to see it in a little bit of a new light. The second thing, here's my big concern, and here's what I've been praying about a lot, is that there's so much for us to learn in this that my concern is that we just don't have enough time to learn it all. So I've been struggling all week. Should I make this two lessons? Should I just like cut it off at a certain point and we'll finish it next week? Or should I just try to like speed through it like Speedy Gonzalez and risk missing some things? And I really don't know what I'm going to do. So I pray that God will just show us how far he wants us to go tonight. I promise I'm not going to keep here all night. Like when we're like we're supposed to end at a certain time, we're going to end at a certain time. So don't get don't don't freak out on me. Uh, but my prayer was that you'll receive a measure of God's truth beyond the limits of the teaching time that we have. So that's been my prayer for you guys this week. So Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 14. You can follow along on the screens if you need to. It says, There were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, <clears throat> Sorry, had a frog in my throat. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. When the angel had led them and have left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd seen and been told. Um, so there are, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what was going on here. And then I've got two questions to ask you that I want you to think about. Um, first, let's think about what's going on at this time. So we, we understand the shepherds, they were visited by angels, but what was going on? What was the background? The shepherds were on the outskirts of a little Israeli town, a little Jewish town called Bethlehem. There's a Bethlehem in every city during that time in Palestine had walls built around it because, you know, back then it was like, you know, cities got invaded, so you had to build walls, you know. Before, tr before Trump was around, people were building walls, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> people were already building walls. So the shepherds, they're on the outskirts of town. They're away, and they're watching their, they're watching their sheep because they can't leave the sheep. But something is going on throughout the entire world at this time. Caesar, who was the, not the necessarily, he was kind of like the king, the emperor, the president, all in one of the Roman Empire, decreed that a count of every citizen must take place throughout the whole Roman Empire. We're doing a census. Caesar's doing a census across the entire Roman world. So you got to understand, Rome was bigger than the U.S. is now. Rome was all through Europe, all through the Middle East, into Asia, down into Africa. So literally all the known world, Caesar's like, I want to find out how many people are in the world right now. So the, what his decree was is you've got to go back to your hometown. You've got to go back to the town that your family is from. So some of you, like, your family's pretty much, like, all from Huntington. Like, you've grown up in Huntington, or you're all from Barbersville. You've grown up in Barbersville, you know, Salt Rock, Wayne, you know, wherever. You know, and, and your family's, like, from one specific area. Like, my mom and my dad, they come from Pennsylvania. So if I was to be part of the census, it meant that I would have to pack up my family, and I would have to travel up to Pennsylvania 
stay there for a number of days or sometimes up to a month until I was counted. And then I could go back to wherever I lived. And that was what was going on. So Bethlehem was an old town. So think about it. All these people that have roots from Bethlehem, they come back to Bethlehem. And the city is totally overwhelmed. I mean, the city is just full of people. So you can imagine, like, when all these people come back home, and there's got to be, part, you know, there are parties going on, there's family reunions going on, like, Bethlehem is lit. Like, it is the place to be. <laughs> I mean, it's, we think about, you know, the old little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Like, they don't know what they're talking about when they wrote that song. Because Bethlehem was so full of people, there was nowhere to stay. And what we learn about is Mary and Joseph, when they went to Bethlehem, they stayed for a long period of time. Because if you read, we don't think about it. Here's the story here. We're not going to get through the whole lesson tonight. Because we've got to get the right understanding here. We have this picture of, you know, of, of Mary riding like saddle, side, like side saddle on a donkey all the way to Bethlehem. And she's like getting ready to like pop because she's that pregnant. That's not how it was. Because if you look at Luke chapter 2, and if you look at... Um, if, if you look at verse um, 5, it says, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. Mary was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. It says, why, in verse 6, why they, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. We get this idea that Mary's like hunched over with contractions all the way to Bethlehem. No, Mary was totally fine. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take your pregnant wife that was about to pop on a 70-mile donkey ride, <laughs> you know, like, Three days before she was going to deliver. They went, ahead, they went ahead of time, and it says while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So they had already been there. We get this idea that Joseph's going from, like, house to house, place to place in Bethlehem some night saying, my wife's getting ready to deliver. My wife's getting ready to deliver. Like, we need a place to stay. That's really not how it was. That's not how it was. Um, it says she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger in, in verse 7 because there's no guest room available for them. Or in the King James it says there was no room for them in the inn. That's kind of deceiving because back in the first century what would happen is if you had a house, houses were flat, they had flat roofs, what you would often do is on top of the roof you would build like a little apartment on top of the roof and it would be for guests and it would be called the inn of your house. Just like some of you have a guest room, they built a guest room on the top of their house, and sometimes it would be referred to as a word that we could sometimes translate to inn. So if you were visiting your family, you, know, you were going back home to Lincoln County, Mingo County, Pennsylvania, you know, wherever your family's from, they would make sure the, their little guest room on the top was ready. Well, here's the problem. Joseph and Mary go back to his hometown, but Joseph's cousins, cousin Eddie comes back to his hometown too, you know, He's got all this family coming. So have you ever been in a house like you got company over and it's just like you can't find a place to even think. Everybody's so loud, so obnoxious. It's like Thanksgiving dinner at your house, right? That's what it was like at, jo at the house, at, at Joseph's relative's house. So there was nowhere for them to sleep. Yeah, they were all like packed into these houses like sardines, sleeping on the floor. There was no room for them in the inn. Because there were like probably 50 bajillion people that were trying to sleep in that inn. So the only place Mary had to give birth was a manger. And it's interesting, if you look back at how they would do livestock in the first century, a lot of the smaller animals and a lot of the animals that at nighttime were prone to be like attacked by predatory animals, they would be kept inside the house, in the first floor of the house. So, you know, you're like, you got a goat outside your house. When it gets dark, you bring the goat in to chill in your kitchen until the sun comes back up. Like, that's how it worked back then. So they would have mangers and feeding troughs in their house. 
So what a lot of scholars believe, after a lot of research, is that Mary could have given birth like inside a house, but the only place there was to put this baby, because there were so many people, it was so crazy in this house, was in this feeding trough. So all this is going on, the census, remember, you can't forget about the census that's going on. That's why, Jeru- that's why um, Bethlehem is, 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 is going crazy, and it's busy, and it's loud, and it's obnoxious. And there's no room for anyone, there's not even room in a house for a woman to give birth. That's how crazy it was. And Mary gives birth to Jesus. Outside of that city, with all the crazy going on, you got these shepherds, and they're camping out in a field. They're quiet. Like in the city, it's like, mm, 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 census, 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 census. In the field, it's quiet. <laughs> They're doing the census shuffle at Club Bethlehem. No. <laughs> but they were, in the field, it's quiet. It's quiet, and there's shepherds, and they're, they're, they're watching their sheep because that's what you have to do if you're a shepherd. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit. So, so it's not a silent night in, in, in Bethlehem, contrary to what the to, to what the songs, the Christmas carols say, it was not a silent night. It was, a very, it was the busy, one of the busiest nights in the history of Bethlehem when Jesus was born. But in the field where the shepherds were, on the outskirts of Bethlehem, it's very quiet. So then something happens, right? The shepherds are just chilling. I don't know if they're singing campfire songs, you know, kumbaya. But you know, it's very peaceful and it's very quiet. And then all of a sudden, these ordinary shepherds, it says an angel appeared to them. What did we learn about angels last week? Y'all remember this? Somebody help me. They're fearsome warriors. They're not Cupid, naked, bare, they're not little Cupids with love arrows and wings that look like kids. They're fearsome warriors of God who bring the message of God. Um, they, they usually come in, you know, in like full-grown male form, so don't call your girlfriend an angel because you're calling your girlfriend a full-grown man. And, you know, if, if somebody, you know, girls, if a guy calls you an angel, just backhand him. Okay, so, so this angel of God, it says, an angel appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shown around them. If you go back in the Bible and you look at places where the glory of the Lord is shown to humans, you know what humans' first reaction is when the glory of the Lord is shown to them? I have weak knees, so I can't, or I have like bad knees, so I can't do it, but like they drop to their knees. Like they drop to the ground. When Moses saw God's glory in the burning bush, he fell to the ground. That's the reaction to the, God's glory revealed to humans is so mind-blowing and it's so fearsome. And that's what happened to the shepherds. It says um, they were terrified when that happened. Um, the word is actually, if you look in the Greek, it's, it's a derivative of the word that we use today for phobia. You know, so like arachnophobia. If you have arachnophobia, what does that mean? You're scared of spiders. You, you will do ridiculous things if you see a spider. You know, you will, you will stand on couches. You know, you will scream because you are scared to death. You are terrified of spiders. They were, they were scared to death of what they saw. They were terrified. They were terrified. But this angel says something to them, um, which is kind of the, what we're basing our series around. He's, the angel says, do not be afraid. Why? Why should they not be afraid? Give me a good reason. Well, he gives, the angel gives a really good reason. He says, I've got good news for you that will cause great joy to all the people. Well, that's great, right? He says, for unto you today in the city of David a Savior has been born. Um, if you look up this word for good news in the, in, in, in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, I can't pronounce it, so I've got to look it it's, it's called euangelizo. It just rolls off your tongue, right? Euangelizo. But this word is the same root word of the word euangelium, 
which is the word that we get for gospel in Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ. And here it says, I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, don't be afraid because I'm getting ready to tell you about Jesus. Y'all don't, he's like, y'all don't know what I'm talking about yet, but you're going to know. Because to you, today is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. They knew a Savior was coming. They, their, their nation had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and a, over a thousand years for that Savior. He says, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, he's here. And guess what, guys, shepherds, you're the first to know about it. So this incredible thing happens. Jesus is born. He's born in a feeding trough because there's nowhere else for him to be born. And the first people to hear about it, the gospel, the first people to hear the gospel, other than Mary and Joseph, they kind of had a nine-month head start. Um, the first people to hear about the gospel are these shepherds who were like outcast from Bethlehem. They didn't get invited to do the census shuffle in Club Bethlehem. They were on the outskirts of town tending their sheep, and everybody in the town probably had forgotten about them. So this is the first question I want to ask, and I want you to think about. Why the shepherds? Why the shepherds? Out of, out of everybody in the entire world, why did God choose for the shepherds to be the first to hear about Jesus? You know, why do you think that was? You know, God could have picked anyone. He could have picked, he could have picked Caesar himself, the leader of the Roman world. He could have picked the religious Pharisees who were in the temple in Jerusalem. He could have picked like the most important person in Bethlehem. But yet he goes to the outskirts of Bethlehem and picks the shepherds. Why in the world did he do that? God doesn't do anything without a purpose and without a reason. And there's nothing in the Bible that we can't learn from. So why? Why did God choose the shepherds? I've got three, I think, I don't, I don't say three possible reasons because I think these are all these these are all three real legitimate reasons that God chose the shepherds. And I think it means a lot for those of us who maybe kind of feel like the shepherds. Maybe we kind of feel like Charlie Brown and we're overlooked. So let's look at the first one. The first reason I think God chose the shepherds is because they were ready. It's because they were ready. Think about everything that was going on. We're not going to rehash it, but Bethlehem was busy. The whole world was busy. It was like the worst time for Jesus to come if you were somebody who was in Bethlehem. You're like, man, God, couldn't you schedule this whole gospel thing for like sometime after the census? <laughs> We're kind of busy right now. Like, like we'd love to come adore the Christ child, but you know, like, like, like I've got 80 relatives in this little Jewish house and like we have no room and I'm trying to cook for everybody. And like it's this huge, huge, huge deal. Everybody's busy. Who's not busy? Who's ready to be totally receptive to what God is doing and what's going on? It's these shepherds out here. They're probably not the most, not the smoothest guys in the world. They're probably a little rough around the edges. But what do they have that everybody in Bethlehem doesn't have? That everybody pretty much in the entire Roman world at the time, what do they have that they don't have? They have availability. They have availability. And sometimes I think we're like that when God is, is speaking to us and God's wanting us to do things. We're like, God, don't you realize like the grading period ends in two weeks? Is it, is it two weeks? It's two weeks, right? Like, God, God, maybe you could speak to me on December 22nd instead of, like, now. Like, December 22nd, the grades are in and my fate is sealed. Like, you know, the games are over. Maybe, God, you could speak to me on the 22nd and God says, no, I want you to quiet your heart and I want you to quiet your mind now so you can hear from me now. God wants us, the greatest thing you can give God is your availability. The greatest thing you can give God is to be ready to hear from him. I was thinking about, like, Jesus being born in a manger. 
and Jesus dying on a cross, and I was thinking about these shepherds, how they were available. And as I was thinking about it, I was, I was thinking how, how simple and how ridiculous. You know, the, the two greatest things that have ever been used in the history of the world outside of people were a manger and a cross. The manger is where Jesus was born. The manger is where God became a man. You know, you know how they made mangers back then? Mangers were made of rocks and dried mud. That was how you made a manger. It was crudely fashioned. You'd take, you'd take rocks and you'd stack them. You'd slap some mud in between the rocks so they kind of stay together. It dries. You put some straw in it. You put some grain in it. The animals, moo, come and eat it. That was it. That was all a manger was. Yet God chose that manger. Why didn't God choose a sleep number bed? You know? <laughs> Why didn't God choose memory foam for the Son of God? He chose a manger. Maybe it was because all the other beds in the entire Roman world were not available, but that was available, and it was enough for God to use it. And why the cross? That's one of the most painful, agonizing ways to die. It was one of the most shameful ways to die. Why did God send Jesus to die on a cross? The manger and the cross, they were both available. They were both basic. God could have used any other means, something more glorious. He could have had, he could have had Jesus be killed in battle with a mighty axe or a spear. But he chose a cross, something as basic as a cross that was rough cut, two pieces of wood nailed together that probably some other people maybe had been executed on and other people maybe would be executed on. It was nothing special, but what was special about it was it was available. There's nothing special about the manger, but what was special about the manger is it was available. There's nothing special about the shepherds, but what was special about the shepherds is what? They're available, and you may not think there's anything special about you, but when you make yourself available to God, you become very special in the eyes of God. And you can be used mightily in the eyes of God. So why the shepherds? They were the only ones who could catch their breath during the, one of the craziest times in the history of the world. So they were ready. The second reason God chose the shepherds is because Jesus was a shepherd. This is really interesting and this is really cool. But if you look back through the Bible, one of the most memorized verses that maybe you have memorized, or it's a chapter in the, in the book of Psalms, Anybody know what chapter is the most famous chapter in the book of Psalms, maybe? Psalms 23, the Lord is my what? Shepherd, I shall not want. That, that, that psalm, that 23rd psalm was a foreshadowing. It was looking forward to Jesus who would be the shepherd. If you look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, it's talking about this Messiah. And you want to know how it describes the Messiah? It says, this Messiah, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Jesus claimed to be a shepherd in John chapter 10. Man, John is like one of my favorite books of all time. If you have time this week, read John chapter 10. Jesus talks about how he, he says, he says, it's one of his I am statements. He says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus was a shepherd. So why did God choose to reveal the gospel to the shepherds first? I think one of the reasons is so we would remember Jesus was a shepherd. What does that say about us and what does that say about our relationship with God? Well, there's a couple reasons. One thing is the shepherds, and this is one of the reasons the shepherds were there. You know, when I'm pointing there, I'm pointing the field. When I'm pointing over here, I'm pointing you. Bethlehem, field, okay, for the, rest of the, for the rest of the lesson. There's a reason those shepherds were over there and not over there. There's a reason the shepherds were in the field and not in the city. It's because as a shepherd, you could not leave your sheep. You could not leave your sheep. Shepherds lived with their sheep. If you look at, um, even if you look at the verse, um, chapter 2, verse 8, it says there were shepherds 
living out in the fields. If you have an older version, it says there were shepherds abiding in the fields, making their abode in the fields. So these shepherds, they didn't just like watch the sheep for a couple hours and then go home and shower. They spent days upon days upon days with their sheep. You know what happened? The shepherd started smelling like the sheep. And that's not like a beautiful thing, you know. <laughs> that's not like a Bath and Body Works scent that you can buy, like for your mom for Christmas. Like, there's no shepherd Bath and Body Works soap, okay. Shepherds would smell like the sheep because they would live with the sheep. Sometimes they would drink. That when they would come, on, you know, come to a, a, a pool of water, they would drink the same water the sheep would drink. The shepherds, for all practical purposes, became part of the herd and part of the sheep. And do you understand what that means for Jesus? Jesus left heaven. He left the glory of God. It says um, in, in verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven. Jesus left the highest part of heaven and came to the lowest place on earth, a manger, and was told about to the lowest people on earth, the shepherd. Just like the shepherd became one of the sheep, Jesus, the good shepherd, became one of us. God became a human. So shepherds not only lived with the sheep, but there were a couple things that would happen because they would live with the sheep. Um, the second is, um, as the shepherd would live with the sheep, the, sh the, the, the sheep would begin to know the voice of the shepherd. So this was a thing back then, sheep, thiev sheep thievery. I don't think anybody's been arrested around here for sheep thievery for a long time probably. But that was a thing back then. There were, there were professional sheep thieves in the first century. You know, <laughs> like, what'd you do? what are you in here for? I stole a sheep. <laughs> you know, big bad sheep thief. But what would happen is thieves would come, and you know, they would try to disrupt, because sometimes shepherds would all, like, you'd have this shepherd with his flock, you'd have this shepherd with his flock, and this shepherd with his flock, and all the sheep would graze together. You know, so my sheep and Joshua's sheep would start getting together, and I'd be like, you know, how am I going to tell my sheep from Joshua's sheep? And how am I going to tell mine and Joshua's sheep from Victoria's sheep? Like, how, how are we going to figure out whose sheep is who? And then you'd have this thief come in, and he'd start calling the sheep. He'd be like, hey, come on, come on, come this way, come. And he'd try to get sheep to come with him that were not his sheep. But you want to know why those sheep thieves were very rarely successful? Is because the shepherd has spent so much time with the sheep that the sheep could distinguish the voice of their shepherd among all other voices. So it's no problem that my sheep and Joshua's sheep and Victoria's sheep are all together because you know what has you know all we have to do to start separating our sheep? I just have to come this way and say, Come on, sheep, come on, sheep. And all my sheep are gonna start following me. And Victoria's gonna stay over here and she's gonna say, Come on, sheep, come on, sheep, and all her sheep are gonna follow her because those sheep, you know, Joshua's sheep don't know my voice but they know his voice. Shepherds are around the sheep so much that the sheep know their voice. Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the good shepherd. The sheep know my voice and hear me and follow me. Just a random question, not really random, but here's a question for you. Have you spent enough time with God that you know his voice? Or can you not distinguish the voice of God versus the voice of the thief. You know, the Bible says that Satan is a, 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 a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Other parts of the Bible describe Satan as a thief. So can you distinguish the voice of God from the voice of the thief? You know how you start learning what the voice of God sounds like? It's by reading this book. So the sheep would know the voice of the shepherd. They'd know the voice of the shepherd. Here's the final thing that we learn that Jesus was a shepherd and why this is important. 
shepherds would save their sheep. There was a reason that these shepherds, rather than sleeping in their cozy Tempur-Pedic bed at home, were sleeping on a cot in the field. It's because night was the most critical time if you were a shepherd to watch your sheep. Because night is when all the predatory animals were out. And, and the shepherd, you know, we think about how sweet it is that Jesus is the shepherd and he carries a staff. But you know what shepherds would do with the staff a lot? They'd be bopping coyotes on the head with it, protecting their sheep. And they would save their sheep, and that's why they were in the field. And just like the shepherds in the field protected their sheep and saved their sheep, Jesus is the good shepherd, and Satan was trying to steal us. He was trying to kill us. But you know what Jesus did when he died on the cross? He crushed the head of the thief, and he saved us. So why, why, why the shepherds? I think another reason. I think another reason. Stay on that slide, Jake, because we're one ahead. Jake's trying to lead me along. He's like, hurry, come on, come on. But one of the, one, I think, I think one, another reason is because Jesus, Jesus was a shepherd. And here, here's, the, here's the third and here's the final reason, I think. Because all people matter to God. This is so cool. Let's look at this. Um, in, um, in Luke chapter 2, if, if you're reading along here, it says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. I like that word in the Bible when it comes in the Bible. Some people don't like it, but I like the word all. Um, here's what, here, you know what, I, I looked up the word all in the Greek to see what it meant. And you're going you're, you're to be so surprised what all means when you look it up in the Greek. It means all. <laughs> it blew my mind. All means all. You know? All means all, and that's all that all means. Um, he, it says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. I think one of the reasons Jesus chose the shepherds was so we would understand that all means all. That we would understand that there's not like this like certain class of society that Jesus came for, that he came for these particular type of people. And since you're, you know, since you're overlooked you're, by people, you're overlooked by Jesus. If you look at the, at the meaning behind the words, it says, for all the people. If you look up the word for the people, what it means is categories or classifications of people. You know how we like to, to group people together? You know, you've got the jocks at your school, right? You all know who, you, who the jocks are, you know, the sports people. And then you've got, like, the artistic people. And then you've got the band people. And then you've got this group and you've got this group. Maybe there's even, like, a group of, like, church, churchy-type people. You know, there's all these groups. Everybody's divided into groups. And then if you look around the world, there's Americans and there's Canadians. There's Mexicans. There's Palestinians. There's... Um, Taiwanese, you know, people divide by country. There's rich people, there's poor people, there's, there's lower class, there's middle class, there's upper class, uh, there's black people, there's white people, there's Hispanic people, there's Asian people, and we have, there's all these different classifications of people. There are people that are homeless, there are people that have homes. We could slice and dice and carve that pizza up any way we want to, that pizza of humanity. But here's what the Bible says. Jesus came, and that's good news that should cause great joy for every category of people. Is there any type of person that Jesus did not come to save? Is there anyone outside the realm of Jesus being able to save? Is there anyone that Jesus overlooked? Absolutely not. I think this is interesting. God could have sent the angel to tell the religious Pharisees, who were probably having a little, like, scripture study in the temple at the time. He could have told Herod, who was the king over Israel at the time. He could have told Caesar, who was the Roman emperor 
that he tells these lowly shepherds. You know, oftentimes shepherds were considered like almost untouchable because you wouldn't want to be around them. Like if you work, if, if you're the guy that cleans the um, Johnny on the spots, like the porta potties, I got mad respect for you because I don't know if I could do that. I don't think less of you, but here's one thing I know. If you've been working in them porta potties all day, before we hang out, I may suggest that you take a shower. Because I don't know if I could be around that. Remember how the shepherds smelled like the sheep? Shepherds weren't necessarily somebody you wanted to be in close proximity to for a long period of time. Shepherds maybe didn't have, they, didn't, they weren't able to groom themselves and take care of themselves as, as well as somebody who would live in a house most of the time. So they wouldn't necessarily look the part either. They were the people that you would be kind of like, you know, you see them coming and you, and, and you like have your keys ready, you know, and the panic button pressed on your key as you're going to your car. Like, you may be a little concerned about them because they, they just seem kind of rough. But who are the first people that heard about Jesus? The shepherds. Because Jesus came for all, to bring good news to all categories of people. I think it's a shame that, I know, is it, if I tell you right here, Jesus came for all categories of people, you go, you'll go, mm-hmm. But when we're down in the park, is it mm-hmm or is it uh-oh? When you're in your school, is it mm-hmm or is it uh-oh? Do we really believe what the Bible says? Do we put it into practice? We're not going to get all the way through this, by the way, Jake, so. Just leave it, leave it at this slide for tonight. Jesus died. He came to this earth. He died for everyone. And the shepherds are a reminder of that. If you feel overlooked tonight, you are in a place where God can use you. Sometimes I think the reason that some of us feel overlooked and, and maybe the reason we don't get invited to that party and maybe the reason that we, you know, we're not in this upper echelon of people is because God, because God wants us to put us in a place where we're not distracted by some of those things so we can hear from God. God came for every category of people. There's nobody beyond God's reach. Did God come for poor people? That's a question. <laughs> Blake's like, yeah. Did God come for rich people? Did God come for black people? Did God come for Asian people? Did God come for adulterers? Did God come for gay people? Mm-hmm. There's nobody that God did not come for. No classification, no certain type of sin that excludes somebody from God coming, coming for. So I think the question that I'm going to kind of leave, and we're going to pick back up with this next week. I've gone way too long already. Um, and we're, we've got two more points and some application to go. So I'll t we'll talk about how to put this into practice in our life next week. God came for everyone. Good news that should bring great joy to all people. There's no one t at the risk of answering a question that was asked to me on Monday that I'm still working on. There is nobody too far gone. There is nobody that we've written off that God can't save. So here's the question. Why are we not doing what the shepherds did and telling everyone we know the good news? It's, it's almost like we've all been in, in, infected with a disease and you have a backpack full of antidote injections, and you walk the halls of your school, and everyone's infected, and your backpack is brushing against, that has the antidote in it, is brushing up against the people who are infected as you're working your way through the hallway, and we don't think to offer the greatest news in the history of the world to the people that need it. Why shepherds? Because all people matter to God. So, 
We're going to pray. Before we pray, I just want to introduce to you the question. We're going to, you can put the next question on the screen, and I want you guys to think about it next week, or for next week, okay? Because this is a question we're going to ask. The question we're going to ask is, who watched the sheep? Think about it. They left their sheep. What kind of shepherds were they? So think about that. We're going to talk about it next week. Who watched the sheep? So let's pray, and we're going to get out of here. Uh, Father, thank you that you came for everyone. God, we believe that in our, in our minds and in our hearts, but God, I pray that we will, we will live that out. I pray that everyone we come in contact with, even the people that maybe sadly we've written off, um, God, that you'll give us a new passion, you'll give us a new uh, thirst and desire to win those people to you. I pray that we'll prioritize and center our lives around you, the greatest news in the world. God, thank you that you even come to people who feel like they're overlooked. Thank you that no one is overlooked by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.